Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just to give you a heads up, one of us is bound to say something not suitable for little ears. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, February 10th, the Cotillion Conundrum Edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is nearly nine, and we live in Los Angeles, California. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's nine, Oliver, who's seven, and Teddy, who's five. And we live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Zach Rosen. I host the podcast, The Best Advice Show. And I am the dad to Noah and Ami. Noah is four, Ami is one, and we live in Detroit. On today's show, we are diving into the tangled world of cotillions. Yes, the etiquette classes and culminating presentation have a rather complicated history, but they're also very much still alive and well in parts of the country. We have a listener who moved to one of those areas and wants to know if this is the right move for her children. Kristen Richardson, author of The Season, A Social History of the Debutante, will join us to give some context and advice. Then we're jumping from ballrooms to bonfires. Should you send your toddler to summer camp? Hmm. And on Slate Plus, we're dreaming about family travel. Come take a mental vacation with us. But first, Zach has been on a quest to slowly move his daughter's musical taste away from toddler tunes. And listeners have a lot to say about the topic. Uh, Zach, can you give us an update? Yeah. So first of all, listeners, it means so much that you're invested in this along with me and you have such great advice. Reshma recommends the movie Sing and the sequel Sing 2, which features popular covers of songs by U2 and Coldplay and Whitney Houston, among others. And uh, Reshma says her kids have slowly ventured into the original versions of some of those songs, which that is uh, like exactly what I'm trying to do. Similarly, Erica wrote in to say that I should watch Beat Bugs on Netflix. That is apparently a show that has all Beatles music or Beatles covers. And now Erica's kids um, love the original Beatles versions of those songs from that show. I'm going to watch this stuff uh, if I can get Noah to stop watching Lion King because she's pretty obsessed with that. <laughs> These are very good ideas. And I am uh, hopefully going to report back very soon that Noah is listening to some really cool music thanks for writing and we love getting your email you can always write to us at mom and dad at slate.com now let's move on to some parenting stories from our week let's start with you elizabeth kick us off 
I'm taking a big old fail. We got a couple more inches of snow after some pretty significant snow and wanted to take the kids to, there's this really great toboggan hill here that like when we get a lot of snow, we can't really get to because it's 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 not far, but it's difficult to get to when the roads aren't plowed. And so kind of the ideal time to go there is after a big snow, the roads have been cleared and then you get just like an inch or two. So that happened on Sunday and we got everybody up and it, it was one of those days where just like getting everyone out of the house took extra effort and so Jeff had like loaded up the car and was in his snow stuff ready to go and the rest of us were like not dressed and so leaving the house was just like very stressful we get all the snow gear in there the older two kids like see the hill happily hop out they've got the sleds we've got our tube and Teddy who is five is like nope not going not just gonna stay in the car which uh, we've we've definitely done that before. So I let him kind of stay. I was like, well, maybe he's tired. Let him stay in the car. And I walk a little bit away and I'm coming back to check on him. But what happens is he goes from like happy to sit in his car seat to like destructive in the car, going through the glove box, taking his brother's thing. So I'm like, no, 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 we can't do this. So I'm coming back to the car. He's like opening the doors and actually throwing stuff from the car out <laughs> <laughs> the like snow like forget it so I just grab him grab all the snow stuff and walk him down to where we're we're tubing and th- there's like a bench that's sort of wet and I put a snow pants down and so now he's cold so now he's willing to get in the snow gear we get in the snow gear I put little boot warmers in. I'm like you just have to sit here you can't be in the car because you're throwing things you're just gonna sit here and watch your brothers he of course is like trying to run away just total meltdown well Jeff comes down the hill and says to him like hey if you go down in this tube and you hate it, you don't smile at all, we'll go right home. <laughs> Teddy's like, deal. So Jeff pulls him up all the way to the top of this hill, lets him down in the tube. He's laughing, giggling the entire time, having a great time, which is great, right? Except yeah. that he's thrown a fit for almost an hour. So now the other two kids are cold and ready to go. Mm-hmm. And we're running up against our time. You know, like we can, we only can be there so long because we have other things on on Sunday, he gets to go like two times and then loses his mind because he doesn't get to tube enough, you know, so now we're back in the car. <laughs> like he doesn't want to take the gear off. And I just am like, there's no winning. I'm actually bringing you to an activity that you love and you're going to love it. Just, just like give it a freaking chance. So anyway, it was, it just felt like this, like they all had fun. And we did all get to go do it. So that's great. But just like how much effort did I put into getting him in the car? And then I had to put that exact same effort into, you know, putting him back in the car because now he was he was mad. So just I know I know this is like something that just all people with small kids deal with. But it's so freaking annoying. Like I tried so hard to do this nice thing for you. And then I just feel like you know, you imploded it from the moment, we, from the start, except for the two runs where you were happy. <laughs> anyway. Totally. I mean, just syncing up excitement and energy with kids is so hard. Like, you know, sometimes, you know, one kid will be falling asleep just as another kid is waking up. It's just so infuriating, <laughs> it's so infuriating. because you did everything you can, but you can't control everything. I know. And it's really annoying. Like, you love sledding. You all love sl- It's like one thing we all do and we all like. <laughs> Why are you pretending you don't like sledding? Like it is like this. literally one of the funnest things in life. <sighs> so that's where I am. I'm just venting. Ugh. Children. Children. Yes. What about <sighs> you, Zach? Are you triumphant or have you also failed? I feel bad talking about a triumph in 
in the do winter it. now. Do it. It's um, okay. It comes on the on the back of a lot of failure. Putting on gloves. <laughs> Putting a four-year-old's or, or a one-year-old's gloves on, my God, is one of the hardest things in parenting. Like getting Noah's thumb in the thumb hole has been something that I've been working on for months. And we finally have started to figure it out. She has a little bit more control now. And so we were up at our friend's cottage this weekend in kind of Northwest Michigan. And it was super cold out, but we brought a bunch of layers. We brought tow and hand warmers and we were going to go to the beach and kind of like explore on the beach, even though it was like 10 degrees out. And I was just bracing myself for one of my kids to lose it. But because we've figured out a way to seal their hands in their jackets, you know, without getting like snow to fall into their wrists, which is like the worst. <laughs> the worst. We somehow were successful and like it felt so triumphant and like epic because, it, you know, we were like Shackleton, like in the, you know, in the in the snowy depths of uh, of like some expedition. And when you have the right gear, which is just a lot of layers and like a snowsuit and good gloves and mittens, winter can be so fun. But I feel like there's like a one in four chance that we'll have fun. And the other three times there will get there will be snow in some you know down the neck or down the ankle or down the wrist but we lucked out um and it probably won't be so lucky next time but we we just caught a saturday morning where we were just out on the uh, beach in lake michigan and uh just really enjoying that fresh air um while staying warm so it felt lucky and great that's so perfect. Do you do the glove mitten combo? I ordered like Amazon Basics mm. thin kids gloves so this that if we lose them, idea. it doesn't matter. And then I put that inside the mitten. <laughs> That's a great idea. I have not and tried that, that way, but I will. Especially wet for too, you could just baby. take off one of them. I don't know. Maybe it makes it worse, but it seems to be. It seems to work. I like that. I like that a lot. Jamila, you don't have to deal with this in California. No, I envy you. Sunny California. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I, as much as I say, I miss you. seasons, you know, and we have a taste of them. It's like cold. I wear my winter coat in the morning when I drop Naima off. But yeah, it's been like 75 <laughs> in the afternoons <laughs> lately. So can't really complain. Um, I have a fail too, however, despite the weather. So Naima went to a birthday party this weekend. She went with her stepmom, and it was a big deal. She was really excited to go. It was one of her very fancy friends, and that's just the best way I could put it. It's the fancy kid. And so, is it a famous person's kid? It is a famous person's kid. Can we beep it? Can you just tell us, and you can beep it? Okay. Oh my god! Oh my god! Your life amazing. is amazing. <laughs> Listeners, you didn't hear that name, but like it's, it's beyond. amazing. It's it's beyond. like one of the coolest. It's crazy. Actually, wow. it's exactly what you would expect for Jamila. Oh god, yeah, no, it's ridiculous. It's you know, and like I, I don't want to say how they met, but it, like we weren't doing anything fancy or famous at all. <laughs> This is an, under totally normal circumstances that these two kids were connected. So, yeah, so she went to the birthday party this weekend, and she went with her stepmom. I couldn't go, unfortunately, but she had a really good time. And so I met up with them afterwards. And so when we got home, I took a look at her, and I said, did you wear a temporary neck tattoo to so-and-so's house? Because she had a big flower temporary mm -hmm. tattoo on her neck. And she said, Mom! I wasn't trying to put it on my neck. It got there on accident, which is like the most 
improbable, impossible, <laughs> like temporary <laughs> tattoos are so intentional. Like they, you can't put it on when you want to. You want it on desperately and it's not working. So I'm certain that it didn't accidentally adhere itself to your neck. And so, you know, I didn't make a thing about it. I said, it's fine. I think it's a lot of fun, Naima. You're so courageous and bold, you know, and we left it there. And then later in the evening, I said, okay, little neck tattoo, it's time for bed. And she started crying. She was like, you made me feel bad about my neck tattoo. And I didn't even want it because it was an accident. And so I was so caught up in the, like, making her feel bad that I couldn't really engage the lie. Yeah. So this is a double fail because I have yet to like adequately challenge the possibility that she accidentally gave herself a temporary neck tattoo. I've just been stuck on trying to make sure that she doesn't feel bad about said temporary neck tattoo, which she's also not even very sensitive to touch. And like she's having a hard time getting it off. And I'm like, well, let me just rub it off. And she's like, no, I don't want it anymore. And so yesterday she was like trying to cover it up with her hood. And I was like, well, no, that's not going to work all day. It's like a whole thing. So my fail is oh, man. making her feel bad, which I actually thought it was super cool. You know, it was just the old black yeah. lady in me was like, you wore that? <laughs> you know, I just couldn't help it. I turned into my mom for like two seconds and then it I just unturned comes it. Out. It just comes out. I wonder if Naima will one day accidentally like get her eyebrow pierced. <laughs> I would not put that past it her. It was an accident. I really love the phrase accidental neck tattoo. That's such, that should be the name of a band. <laughs> Only Naima with the utmost <laughs> conviction. Just like, first of all, I didn't even want this to happen to me. So I'm a victim of this tattoo. And here you are making me feel bad. That's my girl. <laughs> I'm a victim of this temporary tattoo. Such a classic. It's classic us. <laughs> classic. classic us usin. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, Get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. All right, let's move on to our first listener question being read, as always, by the lovely Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, my family relocated from the Midwest to a southern city several years ago, and now that our oldest daughter is 11, we are learning about the southern mainstay that is cotillion. Cotillions historically were racially segregated and limited to elite social classes. 
though that seems to have changed with the times. Sort of. The girls must wear white gloves and conservatively cut formal dresses, and the dance pairings are strictly boy-girl. The materials we've gotten describes it as fun, organized, upbeat, and safe social activity for middle schoolers to learn timeless dances and social graces. The goal is social self-confidence, and they use dancing as the tool, while also incorporating etiquette. The cotillion in our area seems to be making an effort to be inclusive, emphasizing that all are welcome, but the pictures I've seen of recent events show the vast majority of participants are still white. There is also a pretty large fee to participate, which automatically excludes some families. I also wonder how progressive it is in terms of allowing girls to request a dance instead of just the converse, and enabling the kids to decline a dance offer if they're not into it. My daughter is black and white, biracial. All of her close friends, most of whom are white, are participating, and when I mention my hesitations to other parents, what I hear is that it's just a fun social event and the kids love it. I do want my daughter to learn etiquette and move confidently in all kinds of social situations. Neither me or my husband had that kind of training, and I think it will be useful in her future social and professional life. I would also talk with her beforehand about my feelings on cotillion and encourage her to view the dances and training through a critical lens. I just can't shake the idea that I'm supporting an institution I don't really believe in by having her participate. What would you do? Would you sign your kid up or opt out and start looking for alternatives to build her social graces in other ways? Thoughts caught in a cotillion conundrum. Well, this is a fascinating question and one with many layers, so we decided to bring on someone who could give us some much-needed context. Here to help is Kristen Richardson. Kristen is the author of The Season, A Social History of the Debutante, which was named Best History Book by the Smithsonian. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So before we jump into the advice giving, we'd like to hear a little bit more about the history of cotillions, starting with, for those who are unfamiliar, just what the heck are they? The general understanding of cotillion or the debutante ritual is it's a presentation of girls to society, which is variously defined, in order for them to get married. So that's the traditional definition, like a presentation at court, a presentation at a ball, a presentation at a tea. There are lots of different ways to do it. That started in the mid-18th century. I mean, there are antecedents to that, but like what we recognize as as the debutante ritual began in, in England in the mid-18th century. And it was really effective. Um, it sort of <laughs> happened at the dawn of the consumer revolution when everything was starting to be viewed as a market. And so it was pretty natural to start seeing daughters as something that can be traded. And, you know, there's a lot of history there. So... You know, it was really successful in getting people married. And so it got exported to pretty much all of the British colonies um, at around that time. So we've had it in the U.S. since that same period, like the early to mid, like 1730s, 1740s. You know, it was successful as a social climbing tool as well. So in the U.S., where we don't have an aristocracy, it really helped create one. <laughs> so, um, but it's, it, I was really interested that the, the woman with the question was biracial because there is a really segregated debutante ritual in the U.S. So there's a really robust, long history of black debutante balls as well as white. So when I saw the question after having 
been asked to do this, I was like, oh, yes, this is a really complex question, whereas it may be less so, depending on the person's background. So cotillion um, is slightly different than a debutante ritual, actually. So cotillion used to be, it's just a dance. It's, a, it's like a square dance that you might see or recognize in like a Jane Austen movie, something like that, where you see people dancing either in lines or in squares. But it's also now kind of generally referred to is what this woman is talking about, is like a way to teach manners, to teach etiquette, and also to kind of funnel people into groups wherein they would participate in a later debutante ritual. So it kind of sets up these sort of class-based manners. These kind of classes were actually part of our high school that I went to. We called it PDC Pre-Debutante Cotillion, Mm -hmm. where we were offered these classes. And friend of the podcast, who's also a high school classmate of mine, Lauren, actually called in. Jamila, you have interviewed Lauren on the podcast mm-hmm. um, before, and she um, went to our high school but opted out of pre-debutante cotillion, and she opted instead to participate in cotillion held in the Black community. And she actually called in to tell us a little bit about that. In grade school, I believe it was seventh grade, it was known that all the girls in the local private schools be invited to this country club's dance where... Um, the girls would, you know, say Hawkins style, the girls would invite the boys, but it was also well known, especially amongst, you know, the few kids of color that this club had only recently been desegregated. And, you know, I I think they sent out the invitation to everybody in the school. They didn't try to do any research to see who was of what background, but, you know, at least we widely felt that we wouldn't be welcome or, that even if we were welcome, like we didn't want to give our money towards that. So I can't remember which it was. It was maybe a mixture of the two, but I didn't even think twice about not going. I thought that it was messed up and problematic and really lame that this was still a thing and that the club, like, you know, I don't know, within the past decade, you know, it only started letting in blacks and Jews. Um, but I didn't want to be part of it. You know, a lot of my classmates did, and I don't think I, I faulted them for it. Um, Unfortunately, I don't think there was a lot of accountability in that time for like whether or not you were supporting things, at least, you know, amongst middle school and high schoolers. Um, Later on, my mom was a member of um, uh, the Delta Sigma Theta chapter in our area. Um, I ended up doing a debutante cotillion, um, which, you know, ended up being all black. I don't think it was exclusive. I think it's sort of the same thing. Um, and so we did the etiquette lessons and the dancing and all that. And I, you know, I happily participated in that. You know, it's a little bit, a little bit corny. <laughs> you know, there's definitely like, you know, gender things. And I don't know if I would do that for my kids today, but um, it's sort of interesting to think back on it. Yeah. I mean, well, I did this, you know, so first of all, I did this, but I did it in Southport, Connecticut in the sort of mid to late 80s. Um, We started in fifth grade and it was, we didn't call it cotillion though, it was called dancing school. I think the way it was viewed there was very much as like a class building and class maintaining activity. Um, in, In Connecticut at that time, it was all white kids, which says a lot, right? So um, I think it's really interesting, like what Lauren experienced makes a lot of sense to me that you would look at it and associate it with this like really intense whiteness and everything yeah. that that means, right? 
Also, one key distinction between the debutante ball in the white community and in the black community is that within the black community, it really grew out of the uplift movement. It was um, started by the black community. It was for the black community. And um, in there's a lot of like problematic class stuff within the black community around the debut. So it's not like this is some thing with no complexity. But I think it's important to emphasize that it was not just like a carbon copy of the white mm-hmm. experience. So, um, it, and it aesthetically, it looks really similar in a lot of ways. You know, the dresses are white, um, not everywhere, but mostly. And the ritual itself can be really similar. There's a presentation. But within the Black community, there's other stuff as well. There are often scholarships awarded. There are often mentoring. And I can tell you, I did not actually um, come out. I was like, I decided no, I was not within my <laughs> value system at all. So I didn't do it. Um But I can say with, you know, total confidence that it's like the more you know, the less likely it is that you'll do it. It's interesting how layered it really all is. Like, it seems like a pretty easy question, right? But I think even as our listener, as she goes to write the letter and gets into it, realizing kind of how complicated it is. Well, it is really complicated, and I think it also reflects this sort of ugly reality that we don't enjoy talking about, which is that if you do this stuff, you learn a way to be in the world, and you learn it at a young age, and it becomes natural to you. So you don't have to learn things as an adult when it's, it's like learning a language. Much easier to do when you're a kid. You know, it's a very effective way to advance. You know, it's it's an uncomfortable place to be where you have to ask yourself, like, do I want to live 100% within my values or do I want my child to have advantages? And people do not want to deal with that. That's a really hard thing to do. Like when I was invited to be a debutante, it was like in the grungiest time of the 90s and it was really easy to say no to because mm-hmm. everyone was like, no, this is horrendous. Lame. Yeah, lame, like terrible in every in every way. So, yeah. Do you guys... I felt, oh, sorry, go ahead, Zach. I was just going to say my only association with this culture is when Donna Martin drops out of college and moves to Houston. <laughs> Uh, in 90210 and like she just like takes the semester off and it was like so strange and uh, they they also I remember they also used that episode as a kind of critique of racism like Donna's mom was like upset that she was dancing with a black man but that was in the mid 90s too so interesting I wonder if if that caused any sort of resurgence or uh, or decline in the in the movement well it ebbs and flows you know I I mean, something I write about briefly in my book was that um, when I graduated from college, I moved to France. And this was sort of in the Bush years, um, the second Bush, (laughs) I should say. Um, And uh, when it was really unpopular when I left, but when I came back with this sort of resurgent conservatism, it really was popular again. And I was shocked. And that's kind of what spurred me to write this thing because, you know, I had younger cousins who were kind of coming out and I thought that would have been, you know, really dead. And I think the fact that people view it as ridiculous is actually part of its power is that it just keeps on 
trucking along with people kind of not paying enough attention to it. You know, sort of, oh, this doesn't matter, yet it reproduces power. So Yeah, and I, I think to me that's the nuance of this question is like, hey, I don't agree with this, but I want to give my kid the le- the leg up. And I, my experience with this, which is something I didn't even complete the pre-debutante part of the, like, I never made it to Cotillion because <laughs> I never completed the pre-debutante part. But to me, the skills that I was being taught seemed out of touch with what I needed in the real world because... Where I was, I already was receiving so many of those manners and uh, etiquette practices in other places. And Mm -hmm. so the kickoff event was actually called a Coke party because I grew up in Atlanta, um, which now (laughs) seems hysterical. We would gather around and drink Coca-Cola while an, you know, elderly member of the junior league presented us these books that told us things like there are two ways to, you know, answer a written invitation. And in no way should any of these make the person that sent them feel that you want to decline this invitation. I just have never had the need to respond to a written invitation other than for these parties with a written invitation, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like those. It's designed to keep a social uplift, not to uplift other people or bring other people um, into the fold. And I guess I'm also then struck by like, is it manners if I'm only being taught to interact with people that look like me and are from the same um, social class as me and are straight, right? If I'm not being taught how to receive people who are not like me in a way that is polite and gracious. What's the point? I really agree with that in in so many ways. And I think also um, there's a point at which manners become rude, as far as I'm concerned, hmm. that excludes them and is sort of a class performance. I mean, that's immensely rude. You know, it's just horrible to do that. So these overwrought manners are rude if you define manners as kind of kindness, which I do. Yeah. You know, my basic view of this is that if you're going to be embarrassed about it in the future, you think maybe, then no, don't do it. Because if it doesn't align, if you doesn't align with your values, like, and we saw this with, I don't know if you guys saw this um, Ellie Kemper blow up with, um, Mm -hmm. it was like a big Twitter blow up, right? And it sort of exposed. What did she say? I missed that. So she was a she. Her family is a really wealthy um, St. Louis old money kind of family, and they participated in this ball called the Veiled Profit Ball, which is a super duper racist organization, um, hmm. which now admits, like in a token way, like members who are not white. But it was sort of discovered all of a sudden by someone who tweeted about it and it blew up like that she had been at this ball. And she put out a statement basically saying this does not align with what I believe and I'm embarrassed and sorry to have participated, you know. And like, I don't think that everyone should be blamed for what their parents like corral them into when they're 18. But at a certain point, it becomes your responsibility, right? Like that you you did this thing. She was also like the belle of the ball, right? She was like yes. the princess or whatever the highest title for, you know, a debutante-esque person uh, that yeah. they have. She was, you know, there. So it, it, it she was, to, yeah. stands to reason this is part of her public story. 
thinking about um, the listener's question, I love the idea of like asking yourself, look, is this just a matter of I will put aside what I truly believe in to help my child advance and we just do that because I think it's in their best interest or I really can't live with this. I'll say like what my gut is saying is that I don't think that for this child being biracial, being a black girl, that the benefits that she stands to receive from doing something like this are worth um, the the trouble that it could be, you know, in terms of this being something that you, letter writer, are not enthusiastic about yourself, that you have these mixed feelings. Um, and also that, like, she's a non-white girl. You know, if this were truly a diverse organization, if you were grappling with the elitism that's inherent to cotillions, but looking at a Black cotillion, you know, I could understand that. Um, that is a, a difficult question, I, I think, for anyone um, who doesn't share in, in these values or inherently think of these as, you know, great institutions or, you know, a great way to spend a kid's time. But to send her in a situation where I think, you know, it's going to be a reminder for her that she is different from most of the people that she's surrounded by and that her girlhood and her mm. bl- budding womanhood are not at the center of what this celebration and, and this ritual is about. I, I think it could get really uncomfortable for her. And I just think that, you know, in terms of engaging with society in the ways that folks who attend cotillions and debutante balls are engaging, there's a lack of access that she's going to face, period, right? Like, to these groups of people because she's Uh a Black girl. And so, you know, I, I, I think that she will feel like a token, you know, to some extent. And she may have fun just doing something with her friends, but I think there are a lot of things that a little Black girl can do with her time. And I I think that going through cotillion classes where she's a a chocolate chip surrounded by um, whiteness just isn't my personal opinion. I'm going with no. Jamila, as you you say this too, I, um, the part of the letter that says like, I've mentioned this to her friend's parents and they're all like, it's just fun. Right? I feel like this yeah. is indication yeah. that everything Jamila said is right. That, mm-hmm. no, that no one else around you is thinking about this from your perspective. Mm-hmm. And then again, I come back to, I, I think what I'm harping on, that the idea of manners to me are that you do look at the perspective of someone else and say, how do I make this person feel comfortable? Mm -hmm. Well, and not only that, I think then her role could also become, you know, as the person who makes it all okay, right? Who's Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, this is not you know, a white supremacist performance. This is like, look at that black girl, you know, which is, you know, super common kind of tokenism. But I think when people have asked me about this on other occasions, I really encourage them to think about who it's for. Like, Mm -hmm. who is this for? Who is this serving? You know, because if you don't, and if you don't know the answer to that, if you can't tell, (laughs) that's a problem because that's usually going to be the answer is it's serving everything that came before it. And, you know, you're, you're the product, right? You're the ad, the advert for the, for the whole thing. So, um, I mean, I would vote too. I know I'm supposed to be the person providing like the context, but context and advice giver, dual service. 
but as a person who didn't do it myself, I wouldn't recommend it to others. I've never found like, I mean, if it were a black Italian, I would not have that advice. I think it's much more nuanced. Um, and there are lots of different ways to do it. I mean, it's classism within that community as well, but like it's a, it's more nuanced. Letter writer, I think we're all in agreement here. Uh, me, Zach, Elizabeth, Kristen, we've decided it's a no for the cotillion. <laughs> That's just our expert opinion. You don't have to listen to that. <laughs> Look for somewhere else to to teach these things that you felt that you missed or that you wish you knew and, or teach them in your home or practice them or get a, get a group of you know, women together in a different context and practice your table manners or have a fancy meal. I just think there's lots of opportunity to teach these skills and teach the manners that you want your child to have to navigate the world rather than letting this body decide what those manners should look like. Absolutely. Listeners, we will have a link to Kristen's book in the show notes. Uh, check it out. It's called The Season, A Social History of the Debutante. Kristen Richardson, thank you so much. We really, really appreciate you joining us. Oh, thank you so much. It was really fun. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. Talking about money can be so hard, especially when the person you're talking to is still learning how to do long division. That's why Million Bazillion, a Webby-winning podcast from Marketplace, is here to help. I'm Bridget, and with my fellow co-host Ryan, we help teach your little ones about complex topics like bankruptcy, climate change, and why there's so much gold at Fort Knox, and so much more. Listen to Million Bazillion wherever you get your podcasts. On to our second listener question. Take it away, Shasha. Dear Mom and Dad, I'm looking for feedback on sending my three-year-old to summer camp. She has been talking about wanting to go to, quote, school class. Regular daycare is not an option, but we're wondering if a couple weeks of summer camp can't be close enough to school class. She loves interacting with other children and usually warms up to new adults quickly. Those factors tell me to go for it. But I still have some hesitation. I can count the number of times she hasn't had me or her dad with her on one hand. When we weren't with her, she was with a close relative. So I'm worried camp would be too much for her. She also has not great, but still age-appropriate, communication skills. I'm worried if there was an issue at camp, she might not be able to communicate that to the counselors. Her dad and I never went to summer camp. My heart says to send her, and she'll have a blast. But I'm worried she's too young. So I guess I'm just looking for some reassurance. Thanks. Summer camp newbie. Well, you're still a father to super small children. Zach, let's start with you. What do you think? You sending a little one to summer camp this year? Yeah, go with your heart, summer camp newbie. I'm not sure why you haven't been able to do daycare. So I don't know if that reason is similar to why you would not send your kid to summer camp. But I think it's super important to not be with them all the time. They're so lucky that you or, or your husband have been with, with them you know, up to this point. But there's going to come a time when 
you are able to send them to school that of course you won't be able to be there and i think like this this limited run camp might be a really great trial run it's you know it's not like you're signing them up for uh, a year at preschool or whatever this is like okay we're gonna try it for these few weeks and if it's awful you can pull them out after a couple days but i would do it and i would leave them in for at least you know two or three days because the first day i think inevitably is going to be very hard but the second day might be amazing and the third day could be even better than that so i say go for it i'm also a go i think this is a case of projecting your insecurities on your child like you don't know how they're going to do until you do it And so giving Mm -hmm. it a try in a situation like summer camp, particularly, I assume you're going to send them to a summer camp with other (laughs) three-year-olds. So everyone's going to be in that same kind of communication level. The counselors will seemingly, you know, be able to understand three-year-olds and care for them and help them communicate the things that you need. You could definitely look for half-day options. The worst thing that happens is your child has a terrible day and they call you, yeah. which is no worse than having them home with you. <laughs> so I, I think if you can make it work, you know, don't sign up for the whole summer, but sign up maybe for a week and then have them home for a week and then sign up for another week. Like, see what that schedule is. I also think it's totally fine when you're signing up, like ask what the cancellation policy is. A lot of these camps will let you cancel, particularly in the time of COVID. And there are always people looking for those camp slots so ask that Mm, too because maybe you sign up for a bunch and then just know that if the first week doesn't work you don't have to do the rest Mm -hmm. i am going to join the chorus of yeses and say i think this is worth trying you know i don't know what they did this summer that she was three but i can tell you that uh the obamas sent four-year-old malia to day camp can confirm (laughs) because i was one of her counselors uh, for what? A couple of weeks. I was for a couple of weeks. I had the five-year-olds that summer. And at the end of the summer, like they were like the last two weeks of camp for kids who hadn't gone back to school yet. They like folded the four-year-olds and the five-year-olds into one group. And that's where I had little Malia Obama. She was very sweet and extremely shy. Um, I don't, I can't remember if there were three-year-olds at the camp that summer at all, but I, I remember the four, I worked with the four-year-olds the previous summer. So like I, have done a camp experience with little, little kids. And it is altered. You know what I mean? Like, there was rest time. There was <laughs> graham crackers and song. I mean, I guess that's camp period, right? But, like, it felt more like a daycare experience than a traditional yes. summer camp. Like, I think that probably some of what you've seen on TV representing summer camp may seem a little bit scary if you think about it and you're a very small child participating. But I would imagine that anywhere that's extended their selves to have camp for kids as young as three, you know, is prepared for a day that's not going to be hiking and swimming and painting until four o'clock without naps and rest and, you know, circle time and all the things that are done during daycare. A lot of daycares do summer camps, too. So if, if, Mm -hmm. you know, you're really worried about schedule or you really want it to look like school book one out of school that looks like just a a week of daycare during the summer which you call camp like that that's okay too i think there's lots of options here but i i just think you know you have to give it a try i were unanimous that you your kids going to camp (laughs) you go newbie you go enjoy it'll be great it'll be a great experience for everyone 
But tell us how it goes. <laughs> tell us how it goes, Summer Camp Newbie. We love updates. Uh, you can send us one to mom and dad at slate.com uh, in a couple months and let us know how it works. Otherwise, you know, we wish you all the best. And if you have a parenting related question, all your own fellow listeners, you too can send it to us at mom and dad at slate.com and maybe you'll hear it on the show. It is finally time for some recommendations. Zach, what are you offering up this week? So Noah has discovered the game Sorry, an age-old classic. Sometimes I sit down with her to start playing and I'm like into it. I'm like, oh, this is great. But then like you get like 20 minutes in and you're just clobbering your kid at Sorry and it's not fun. So my mom devised this brilliant thing last night when she was babysitting. Instead of having to get your four pieces into the safety zone and home, just play with one piece. So it's Ooh. one piece versus one piece instead of four on four. So you're decreasing the length of the game by, you know, 75% ostensibly. Um, and you're just simplifying it and you're, you're satiating your kids, you know, um, impulse to want to play like five games, but you are in the, you are not suffering as it happens as much as you might normally. So simplify we can call it simplified sorry one piece sorry i love this shout out to bub joe what about you elizabeth okay so i am recommending what i believe to be the best snow tube on the planet it is from ll bean and it's called the sonic snow tube i'm recommending this even though if you go to try to buy it right now it's sold out it's sold out because it's awesome it's like an inflatable tube on the inside but it's almost like a tube sitting in a disc Um, And it's big enough that, like, Teddy can sit actually inside the tube because he can't really hold himself up. So he can ride Mm -hmm. fully inside the inner tube because of the hard disk. The thing is virtually indestructible. And it goes so fast. I I think Jeff always feels like he's having one of those, like, dad moments where he has, like, the coolest thing (laughs) when we're out (laughs) with it. Because the kids just sail down and it's deep enough that when they hit bumps and fly out, they don't exit the, the tube. I mean, it's just, like... It's great. And based on the reviews, it's it seems like these last for a long time. The interior tube is easy to deflate. So storing it is pretty easy. And then you can just inflate it through the for the winter, throw it in your garage. I don't know. I'm a huge fan. So if you can get your hands on a sonic snow tube from LLB and I highly recommend it. It's probably a big black market, you know, demand for I'm this sure. right now. <laughs> Very nice. So I'm recommending The Tinder Swindler. It's a documentary on Netflix about this guy who scammed these women into thinking he was like a billionaire diamond heir. And he was just a scammer. And like he got these women, like these nice girls to like fund his lifestyle. Like he was taking private jets and eating the best food and staying at all these exotic places and documenting it all for like a huge Instagram following. And it was all, you know, basically through money that he'd scammed from women and he was using Tinder. And like, you probably should know that like, if you meet a guy on Tinder and like within a week, he tells you, you know, he's a billionaire son and he's going to fly you out. And like, he's love bombing you that's probably a good sign that he's not on the up and up, but um, it's a really, really interesting story. Sounds interesting. And it's on Netflix. Is that what we... Yes, it's on Netflix. Okay, I'm going to watch it. Check it out. Love to know what you think. And that is it for our show. Uh, Before you go, listeners, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. Or better yet, tell your friends. We love referrals. 
And if you have a question for us, email us at slate.com or post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting. This episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Zach Rosen and Elizabeth Newcamp, I'm Jamila Lemieux. Thank you for listening. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.